everybody. This is Busted Business Bureau. I'm Christian Borky. I'm an indie podcaster who researches, writes, and hosts every episode of this podcast myself. If you want to make it so I can work less jobs and do more podcasting, you can donate to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Bureau. This podcast is produced by an indie comedy theater called The Lincoln Lodge in Chicago, Illinois. If you want to support live comedy, you can hit thelincolnlodge.com slash donation. Joining me today on Busted Business Bureau is my sweet friend and ex-host of another podcast together, Karsten Rundquist. Good to be here. We haven't done any podcasting together since Suck Off. Have you gotten any shenanigans since then? I'm Well, I, I mean, the only... I, I will bring this up because it's succession-related. I'm working on my uh, succession review, my proper review for okay. it. It's my longest video. What's it's it like clocking in at? 45 minutes. Oh, my God. Which I... I Surprised that I have that much to say, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I, <laughs> you made like it's just me blabbering for like 45 minutes. You but, made 40 hours of succession content via the Suck Off podcast. I know. I plug the podcast many times. You do? Too. Yeah, because I'm like, if you want to, because I don't get into like episode by episode, so I'm like, mm. you just go go listen to that. Aww. Even watch this video. Isn't that sweet? But what other like shenanigans have you been up to? Not a whole lot, to be honest. Okay. I, I'm really just like doing my thing, YouTube gonna go to LA this week excited about it but not a ton of shenanigans I am I will say it's funny I feel like anytime we record a podcast one of us is hungover I (laughs) I happened to like drink so much last night like more than usual and then woke up today and I was like why does this always happen with Christian it is Something about the energies of the it's, two of us. One of us has to be hung over to because do this I'm podcast. sparkling today. I See? did not have yeah. a beverage last night or That's today. It's perfect. perfect. I even went to a barbecue today and had no alcoholic beverages. Wow. I'm squeaky wow. clean on the inside. <laughs> Just Diet Coke and Diet yeah. Coke and vibes. That's perfect. That's yeah, perfect. and I had a portobello mushroom burger. I had two of Ooh, them actually. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, and we're going out to dinner after this, and I'm yep. gonna make room. <laughs> <laughs> I picked you for this episode today for a very specific reason that will become clear like a half hour in. Okay. But for now, I want to ask you, what are your memories of Toys R Us? Well, I was telling you before this that I don't have a ton of... My only memories is like driving by it and like Mm -hmm. begging my mom to like let us go. I I think we only went like maybe one time in my life. I really don't remember. If I wanted toys, we would go to like Target. Okay. Toys R Us was like... I I think my parents were just afraid. (laughs) Like they didn't want to bring me to like Chuck E. Cheese. They just thought it would be like a zoo. Interesting. So Toys R Us, I Were think. Were they germophobic? No, they just, they really don't like kids <laughs> and like big crowds of people, I think. So. I see. And I don't even know if Toys R Us Your is parents like that. don't like children. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so I don't, I didn't go to Toys R Us that often. Did you and your sister have friends? Oh, yeah. Did they ever go to your house? Not that often, actually. Not that often. <laughs> now that I think about it, we lived on like a farm so far away from everybody. Again, mm. they just don't like to be around people. So God bless them. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, something I remember about Toys R Us, and that you might remember if you yeah. have ever been, is like running around the Costco-sized building and loving all the candy and stuff that they had. Right, I was right. really into the candy. I was stoked whenever we were taking a trip. Like I marked it in my mental calendar. Like we're going to Toys R Us on Friday. I'm thrilled. And you always had so many fucking stories to go to I don't know if you had this experience when you were a child but when you were like carted off to like the Payless shoe source mm-hmm. and then the American mm-hmm. Eagle and then yep. like all these separate buildings for these separate stops right right if you had to give me your guess as to what happened to Toy Story because you were telling me before you know it's uh, it's out of business right what would be your guess as to what happened based on what you just generally know about society or... I thought I heard somewhere that they went bankrupt mm-hmm. is that what happened that is correct okay but like why 
Like, what was failing about the business? Give me your general, like, what was the... I think this is kind of a lame answer, but I feel like it's accurate. Maybe kids just stopped playing with toys. Hmm. They wanted to do, like, video games and apps. Okay. The phones took over. They didn't (laughs) keep up with technology enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does It does seem like kind of a vintage thing, you know? I already can't remember if you told me this on or off pod, okay. but you told me that you would go to Target for toys right, right. when you were a kid. Yep. Um, I feel like that's the, that is at least the idea I had in my head before I started researching this episode. It was like, right. this is going to be boring and not an episode because it's just like, it's Amazon and Target. Yeah, like, yeah. What do you want from me? Right. Um, and so... Keep that guess in your head. Keep your guess in your yeah. head. Keep my guess in your head. So I'm wrong. It, it has nothing to do with the phones or video. Or, Actually, mean... it doesn't not have to do with the phones. Okay. Kids <laughs> <laughs> stays in their damn phone. Right. Also, you so be glued to our screens. <laughs> you being like literally on your phone for a living. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the history of Toys R Us. It dates Please. back pretty far. Okay. Toys R Us is the brainchild of a man named Charles P. Lazarus. <laughs> Already amazing. (laughs) He's a male Libra. He was born October fourth of nineteen twenty-three. I'm a male Libra. Male Libra. Had to just say that. Yeah. It's time to insert yourself into the story. So put yourself in Charles P. Lazarus's shoes. Okay. He worked as a cryptographer during World War II. Despite that being one of the coolest jobs in the military, Charles P. Lazarus ultimately did not have a biography made about him, so we don't get any more details other than he was a cryptographer. But I only mention this because I didn't know what a cryptographer was, so I was googling it like I was sixth grade boy. Yeah. Can I tell you a story? Please. (laughs) (laughs) So in sixth grade, I was new at my school. And these boys, I guess, were obsessed with like either ancient Egypt cryptography or some sort of decoding things that would mean other things. One of the boys gave me a bookmark that had like some sort of like cryptographic thing Uh on it. And the key was on a bookmark that he had. So I found the bookmark and I translated the the thing that he handed me. Uh It just said, you hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's so perfect. <laughs> but like not Y-O-U, just you. You, just you. You hot. You, you hot. And I yeah. can tell you in sixth grade, me not hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, ugh. Yeah. I was popular and cool. Right. And rakishly charming. But I personality was, that counts. But I was not hot. Yep. Not even for like a sixth grader. But it was, you know. I life. was... <laughs> Tell me. I was going to say I was hot as a sixth grader. Like, I... <laughs> see, now it's... We got it. We got it. Were you? My hair was so good. Oh, and, like, yes. it was long and went down. Oh. And then, like, seventh grade is when I hit puberty and everything blew up and my Damn hair it. got curly and, like, it is now. And, uh-huh. and I didn't figure it out until, like, Damn. you know, high school, so... Did sixth pe- grade, I was killing it. You were a ladies... You were oh, a ladies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. Charles P. Lazarus's father mm-hmm. <laughs> owned a bicycle shop before the war, I guess. Okay. Popular wisdom at the time when the war was ending, in addition to like, you know, Charles having his finger on the pulse, I guess, people anticipated a big baby boom after the war. And they were correct. I mean, like soldiers came yeah, home and they yeah. were they were getting they people. Were pra- they were they fucking. Were, <laughs> <laughs> they were not sucking. They were fucking. They were. Never mind. Uh, bad joke. They were shooting. And just, just <laughs> next point. Next point. <laughs> Charles P. Lazarus started a baby furniture business out of the aforementioned bicycle store. I'm going to read a sentence from Wikipedia because I thought I, I just couldn't have written it any better. Okay, okay. <clears throat> April 1948, Charles P. Lazarus <laughs> founded a baby furniture retail at Children's Bargain Town in Washington, D.C. during the post war baby boom. It's just a perfect sentence. Is that the voice of Wikipedia? To me, children's Bargain Town? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's like, I, I could have written that right, sentence, right, right. you know, like it yeah. didn't really need to come from no, Wikipedia, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it just, I loved the way it was structured, so I had to put it in there. Of course. 
Over time, Charles P. Lazarus noticed that people bought cribs from Children's Bargain Town once mm. because your baby outgrows it. Yeah, it's hard yeah. for them to break it. It's difficult to chew through it. Yeah. I've tried. And customers were constantly coming back, though, for the toys that they had just like in the side corner of Children's Bargain Town. A clever 25-year-old, he's t- fucking 25, <laughs> Charles retools the concept, eventually launching, launching Toys R Us in 1957. Toys R Us, as we know it, existed from 1957 to 2017. Doesn't it hurt that a 25-year-old made a business that yeah, lasted like, a really successful yeah, toy business? Hurts. I was hoping, like, I, I doubt. I, does it ever explain the name Toys R Us? Because I think it's like kind of a funny name. He, well, he wanted it to seem like it was written by a child, hence the backwards oh, R. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually, it was explained, and I can't remember why. It's and no I didn't problem, write it down. No I just, I, just now, I thought about the actual title, and I'm like, I wonder where they got that. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Well, we get a, quite a bit of insight into the Charles P. Lazarus experience from okay. Eric Clark's book, The Real Toy Story, Inside the Ruthless Battle for America's Youngest Consumers. I'll be honest, it's not like a, it's not a great book. I don't I mean, recommend it, but it was informative. Lazarus eventually grew to a four-store chain, sold it to some fucking company in 1966. That got driven into bankruptcy, uh, and then Charles was mad enough to reemerge from bankruptcy and say, you know what, I'll fucking do it myself. <laughs> and himself he did. <laughs> Quote, from the start, Lazarus offered toy manufacturers the tantalizing picture of year-round toy sales and the ability to produce 12 months a year. But for that, he could extract a price, and he did. He insisted on deliveries now and payment much later when the toys were sold. He admitted, quote, without this dating, I would have never been able to afford the inventory. Interesting. Apparently, Toys R Us executives made decisions that were wildly innovative at the time regarding inventory because you have so much... uh, complicated payments going on of like I'll pay Mattel for their uh, you know 12 Barbies that they give us after we've sold all 12 Barbies right. that's going to be complicated to keep track of uh, so he'd installed a computerized inventory system ooh, to track sales uh, which he was ahead of the game on that yeah, one Yeah, we have from a Washington Post article where a retail analyst says in 1982 quote I think Toys R Us is a unique operation the only proprietary merchandise company that rivals IBM as revolutionary in concept their superb controls and information systems are unrivaled in the industry it's <laughs> like such high praise for Toys R Us isn't like, it <laughs> like damn they started off good yeah good for Toys R Us the success is part of what led Toys R Us spinning off into a few different companies. The Kids R Us, the Babies R Us, which okay. is the most successful one. Are you familiar? Yes, I, I vaguely. Yeah. You I ever mean, like, I, drive by it? Yeah, I think I remember like a Babies R Us. <laughs> you remember being a baby in the Babies yeah. R Us? <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> I'm dying to go. <laughs> um, this, unfortunately, though, is kind of a tactical error, as others have pointed out, because parents actually like need diapers and baby formula, right. the things from Babies R Us. They don't actually need toys. Mm-hmm. So instead of offering the diapers at Toys R Us, even though it's like a low margin item, it is what brings customers into the store. Mm-hmm. When you don't have that, customers don't have to come to the store as often. Right, so right. kind of an unforced error. They, sorry, Go real quick. It. They should have had like a Dogs R Us store. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's toys. Dogs need toys. If only you were there in the 80s. You I made could have, yeah. I'm 25. Look at me. I could have. Do you want a dog? so badly really but half of my friends are deathly allergic me being one of the friends <laughs> i'm allergic so. you consider yourself a friend of yourself that's a yeah yeah i'd take care of myself more than anybody oh <laughs> so that's sweet <laughs> so this is part of what weakens the company over time even though the effects are not necessarily present in the 80s and 90s this is just like you know yeah a, uh i almost said a a, a, a spoke on the wheel that's kind of creaky. 
but that doesn't make much sense. Sort of. I see what you mean. I, I, I am so bad at metaphors because I don't tough. think like that. Yeah, I I can do. I'm do pretty good at metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I, I, three. I, I know. See, I'm not gonna <laughs> say it because then I. Anyway. By the 1990s, Toys R Us had thousands of stores. Mm-hmm. Charles P. Lazarus had succeeded in his marketing goal to convince people they needed toys rather than just want toys. In fact, he was so successful that uh, his obituary, spoiler alert, he dies. Um, <laughs> this is what his obituary has to say about him. Quote, Toys R Us became a retailing powerhouse internationally with stores in Spain, Canada, and Singapore. President George H.W. Bush joined Mr. Lazarus for the opening of the company's first store in Japan in 1992. Does George H.W. Bush, Japan, 1992 ring any bells to you? In a way, yes. <laughs> In a way, I but know. please explain. <laughs> so when I was reading that, I was like, oh, I know what happened on that trip. That's mm-hmm. the trip where George H.W. Bush threw up all over the Japanese prime minister at dinner. Wow. And then he like, f- he fell on the floor. And then when people like came to like take care of him, he was like, please just roll me under the table until dinner's over. <laughs> <laughs> so because I knew that, I was like, well, that happened on the same trip the same as trip. he was opening the, the Toys R Us. Yeah. So uh, I kept reading about it, obviously. Um, and so actually, the obituary is wrong about when uh, about George Bush being there for the first opening of the mm. Toys R Us. Because the first one was actually in December of 1991. The second one was from the vomiting trip in, J- in January of 1992. Okay. So he went to the second opening of a Toys R Us in mm. Japan where he threw a ball over the Prime Minister. He probably had <laughs> no fun. Because <laughs> you, like... If you get to a point where you're throwing up at dinner, you were probably sick for like a while. Right. Like you were yeah. you're feeling it. Yeah. Like if you can't hold it back in that situation, yeah. it's bad. And you are the president. You're the president. <laughs> <laughs> Representing our country. Right. Oof. And it was, people uh, have never changed because there were like news stories of like, he's almost dead. Like <laughs> we're going to have to get a new president. <laughs> he's, uh, but he was fine. Man. He just threw up I wish. Dinner. Presidents were still puking in public like that. I'm I saying, bring it back. Need Joe Biden yakking it up. They are too like on cocaine all the time <laughs> <laughs> to ever have that sort of bodily function. Like it's all suppressed until, yeah. they, until they come down. Have you ever thrown up in public, like in such a display? No, I've come very close. Many. I sorry. Quick story. This is actually like never. I'm dying to know. I asked okay. you. So when I, I when I did the study abroad trip in Paris, okay. I like landed. I because I'm too afraid of um, my nut allergy on the plane. I like didn't eat anything sure. the whole flight, uh, which was really bad because I think I like that that had something to do with this. But like when I landed, I think it was like the anxiety and the fact that I hadn't eaten anything. We were in like this tiny shuttle van and I was like in the very back and it was just crammed with people and it was a two hour ride into the city and it was like taking all these crazy turns and I thought I was going to vomit for like two hours straight. Wow. So I had to just like close my eyes and it would have been, that would have been the worst thing ever, especially because I just met all these people (laughs) and I was going to spend three months with them. Anyway. That was the closest I've come, and I'm very glad. I was happened. on a plane that was like, uh, they're like, we're doing our initial takeoff. Mm-hmm. Don't get up. But I just thought I was going to throw up so bad that I just got up. <laughs> and then I went to the back, and then uh, the one of the flight attendants was sitting there and then like saw I was coming back and was like, you can't be standing up. Go back. And so I went back to my seat. They made a whole announcement like, don't get up. But I think the adrenaline of being yelled at and yeah. being like, called out directly on the brought speaker, like, down. yeah, brought it back down. <laughs> it gave me the rush I needed. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So any hoodles, um, his obituary is wrong. Charles yeah, B. Lazarus. Yeah, it's got lies in it. <laughs> That's the whole point. 
Uh, I'm going to read you a quote from Brendan Bayou's Plunder. We'll talk about that book later. Quote, in time, Toys R Us became a national icon. Generations of children remember its advertising jingle, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. I I don't remember that at all, actually. It doesn't matter. It's no Cars for Kids theme song. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Or the super toy run on Nickelodeon where contestants would win a five-minute shopping spree in the store. I actually do remember that. Yeah. yeah. That that doesn't uncover anything for you? I I think I remember that, yeah. In 2001, it opened a giant flagship in Times Square with an enormous indoor Ferris wheel, life-sized Barbie Dreamhouse, and 20-foot animatronic T-Rex. You ever been? No, no. It was fun. Interesting. But they did unfortunately open it like a few months after 9-11, which was yeah. not a great oh. time to open a, <laughs> like an experience-based thrill store in New yeah. York City. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. So, in the year 2000, amidst a shifting business culture, Toys R Us was having some trouble transitioning online. So they made a deal with the then-nascent Amazon.com, wherein they were the exclusive seller of toys through Amazon's website. Amazon could not sell a toy made by any other company. Hmm. This was wildly fucking dumb, as Amazon got to learn a lot about Toys R Us's inventory, sales, marketing, whatever, mm-hmm. when and how they move products. Additionally, Toys R Us was acquired by Vernado, KKR, and Bain Capital in 2005, three private equity firms. They remained in control of Toys R Us until its bankruptcy filings in 2017. You might be thinking, oh, the Amazon thing is where things start to go off the rails, right? right? It is an unforced error. You wouldn't be wrong. Uh Like, it it was dumb. Yeah. But there are still big box stores that can compete with Amazon by offering in-person expertise, like Best Buy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I still go to Best Buy. There's still stores that exist like that. I feel like with toys, like, the whole point is, like, a kid can, like, see it. And no kid is, like, scrolling Amazon for Mm -hmm. their toys, yeah. Well, I, I, the, the kids these days. Kids they're these so days. Terrible. Glued to those screens. But it is so much more fun to go to a toy store, and I feel like you exactly. can pitch that to people. Exactly. So, beyond that, you might be wondering, Karsten, why the background is sounding even more flattering than a background usually is on Busted Business Bureau. It's because, well, it is. There is no reveal that Toys R Us CEO is secretly like a cannibal or that they're dumping chemicals into like a sacred river. So why did Toys R Us go bankrupt? Keep that question in your mind. Okay. We're going to skip ahead of the bankruptcy. We're going to talk about a woman named Anne-Marie Reinhardt-Smith. Anne-Marie Reinhardt-Smith, nay, Anne-Marie Reinhardt, was born July 11th of 1959, a Gemini. <laughs> she started working at Toys R Us in 1988. Initially a part-time cashier, she worked her way up to some full-time managerial position and got health insurance through the company. Good for her. 29 years, a marriage, several kids later, holiday rush after holiday rush. She was, <laughs> during a holiday rush, somebody threw a green Power Ranger at her head and she still got like a scar on her forehead. <laughs> she stayed with Toys R Us though because the company treated her extraordinarily well. Okay. She once remarked, quote, it let me be the mom I wanted to be. Aw. Very sweet. That's nice. Presumably right, she planned on retiring on the money she made working her entire life. But when Toys R Us went bankrupt in 2017, all of those benefits that she had worked for were simply not available for her to reap. From Brendan Bayou's plunder, quote, Ultimately, while the CEO received a $2.8 million exit package, employees received severance packages that amounted to $60 per person. What? <laughs> the, the money was little more than schmuck certificates, according to one of their lawyers, Jack Raisner. About enough for a family meal at Arby's. <laughs> It's way less than that at Arby's. That's all I'll say. It's, as an Arby's expert, that's, that's a few nights. I have another story to tell. I was Please. at my boyfriend's today, uh-huh. and his neighbor was like, I am wildly hungover. His neighbor was like, I'm wildly hungover. I went to go get some Arby's, and I threw up in the drive-thru and then continued my order. Oh, my God. I was like, you're vile. That's 
doesn't do well for Arby's. I'll but say he did that not much. spend sixty dollars at Arby's. No, no, no. But he still like ate the food. Yeah, I... it's just so good. <laughs> I, it's just, it's just that good. <laughs> God bless. I have the meats. That's the. <laughs> there could not be any Arby's. Please pay me. <laughs> so remember, right? Anne Marie Reinhardt had like a fucking four hundred one k. She was supposed to be set for retirement, but she gets sixty dollars for her, her two kids, her husband, whatever. Winds up with winds up with fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. So once again, from Plunder, quote: After she was laid off, Reinhardt became active in the Dead Giraffe Society, a Facebook group of former Toys R Us employees <laughs> named after the company's mascot, Jeffrey the Giraffe. <laughs> With the assistance of the organizing group United for Respect, Reinhardt and others began to advocate for better treatment for some of the company's former workers. They met with members of Congress. They convinced Senators Cory Booker and Robert Menendez, along with Congressman Bill Pascrell, to protest with them. They held a march through Manhattan, carrying a coffin for the mascot Jeffrey, (laughs) and they rallied outside the penthouse of CEO David Brandon. Noticeably, I did look up pictures. The coffin was human-sized. Not even a dignified death for a giraffe. Was it an open casket with like the little giraffe? Just like... it, w- it was closed, unfortunately. <laughs> they had to so jam him funny. in there. <laughs> so these, mind you, are retail workers. You don't f- They've seen the worst of human society. Yeah. You don't want to fuck yeah. with them. You don't mess with someone who has literally nothing to lose. Right. But return to the question I asked earlier. Why did Toys R Us, a seemingly successful, relatively innovative company, go bankrupt? Mm-hmm. Why were the benefits promised to employees simply gone? What the fuck happened here? Yeah. In season one, episode three of Succession, Lifeboats, Kendall steps up as acting CEO as... The- is this why you brought me on? Yes. <laughs> as his father, Logan's media empire, uh, while Logan is too sick to lead, Kendall steps up as acting CEO. Mm-hmm. Because the public stock dropped in the wake of Logan's sickness and potential death, Kendall is faced with a problem. Logan made a debt deal in the 80s that if the company's stock dips below 130, which it has by this episode, the bank that loaned Waystar the money is eligible to collect the cash to the tune of $3.25 billion. So Kendall needs to raise money quickly, to Uh put it simply. He decides by the end of the episode to enlist the help of of his friend Stewie to give Waystar $4 billion in exchange for a seat on the board. The second Logan finds out, he's barely conscious. The first words he utters to his son are, you are a fucking idiot. When we were recapping this on Suck Off, neither one of us really knew why Kendall was a fucking idiot for enlisting Stewie's help. Like, Kendall's an idiot because he bungled the relationship with the bank. He told the banker to fuck off. Uh, But further than that, Stewie remains an antagonist throughout the series. Stewie's Mm -hmm. in, like, the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah. His voting stock is a problem. He's a problem in season two. Absolutely. His relationship with Waystar's other investors is a problem. He stays a problem. Mm -hmm. The thing that I want to explore more is the implication of Stu Hassini. <laughs> Karsten, this Busted Business Bureau episode isn't really about Toys R Us. It's, it's about, about private st- equity. Okay. <laughs> it's about Stewie. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, we're just doing suck off again. All right. <laughs> I n- have never understood what private equity is. I don't know how it works. And I did not know why it was a problem in succession. That makes me feel so much better because I also do not know. But would you like to find out with me? I'd love to. Let's start the tape again. <laughs> Play the theme song. Why don't you? <laughs> so for this section, I was massively helped out by Brandon Bayou's Plunder, which I was reading before. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. Plunder came out in May of 2023. Unfortunately, there's another book by Gretchen Morganson and Joshua Rosner that came out literally a few weeks before um, on also private equity. And the title was These Are the Plunderers, <laughs> <laughs> which is two, pri- two pirate themed private equity books. So you might as well call this episode Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but for real, I'd be like kicking and screaming if I was Brendan Bayou and like yeah. <laughs> that book came out a few weeks before mine. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Bayou also cites Gretchen Morganson like five different times because she's written like articles leading up to the mm-hmm. publishing of her book. They don't cite Brendan Bayou even once in their book. It's, I'd be pissed. I would be crying and throwing up. <laughs> but here's the thing. I like Bayou's book better because he puts footnotes like after a bunch of facts. Like he kind of cites it the same way I cite my scripts for myself. Right, right. So I'm like, ooh. Very readable for me. Also, I tried to find out how to pronounce his last name because it's B-A-L-L-O-U. Give me your best guess at it. B-A-L-L-O-U? Yeah. Ba- <laughs> you said Bayou. I said Bayou. Baloo is what I would say. Baloo? Baloo. I mean... Yeah, Baloo. Equally uh, valid. I, <laughs> the first thing I clicked on was this old man podcaster who was like, please welcome Brendan Bowell. <laughs> That's so great. So I can't think about anything. I can't pronounce this. This man has lived a humiliating life. <laughs> kind of what I'm. Really Just salt in the wound. Yeah. So forgive me. There's there's gonna be a lot of Mr. Bowel in Mr. this. Mr. Bowels, yeah. In, in this like section. Okay. Uh, so God, this episode is gonna be so long. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> so what is private equity? When Stewie is first introduced to us on Succession, he meets Kendall in an ordinary coffee shop where he does cocaine and he executes many subtextually homoerotic moments mm-hmm. um, with Kendall. One of the main refreshing aspects about Stewie, as we talked about a lot, is he is completely divorced from the personal drama of the show. Mm-hmm. Like this show is a Shakespearean tragedy filled with intrigue, betrayal, like years long resentment. Mm-hmm. And Stewie is just like famously, I want money. Yeah. Like, he's got his eye set on one thing the, the whole show. Really. His friendship with Kendall is really interesting because he's mm-hmm. like, Kendall, we're friends, but like, I'll fuck you in a second if it means I make more money. Yeah. So that is refreshing in the TV show filled with all of this like you know betrayal and whatnot, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily carry over to real life. Private equity people are not funny, sexy, bearded, <laughs> bearded like Aaron Morads. You know, you know what I mean? The central premise of private equity firms that I'll be discussing here is that they are collectives of, oh, sorry, I forgot to even ask you. What do you think private equity is? <laughs> I'm so glad you forgot. <laughs> I just, I'd rather just, I have no idea. I mean. Your impression from the show. Like, who does Stewie work with? Like, what's the vibe? I mean, he's like an individual kind of like looking to put money into things. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know that much about this. To be honest. You just watch for the cute guys. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm in it for the homoerotic stuff, not the business <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and that was really what our podcast uh, yeah, it was, thrived on. It was what it was. Yeah. yeah. God bless us. So, private equity firms. Yeah. Uh, they're collectives of like-minded investors who purchase entire companies. They don't just invest in a company. They buy the oh, whole thing. Per- okay. Interesting. Uh, that's not what happens in succession. Like They, ju- they do mm-hmm. just give like $4 billion. They don't own yeah. Waystar, but they get a lot more stock. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And they... I don't think they take the company private in the show, but now I'm not remembering. It doesn't matter because yeah. it's not real. Right. But I forget how it is. Because they still have shareholders. No, they have a public shareholder meeting. Yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. take them private. Yeah. They just give them a lot of money. Anyways. Um, so private equity firms will buy entire companies usually. They will take them off of the public stock market with the goal of making them more efficient and like making the company better before then re-putting it on the public stock market. Mm-hmm. So Everyone is allegedly supposed to make money on the deal. It's supposed to make the company better. And everybody wins. This is the idealized version of what a private equity firm does. Okay. In fact, as Bayou describes in his book, this can go pretty well. Okay. There was like a coal mine or something in Kansas that shut down. A private equity firm bought it, revitalized it, 
it brought a bunch of jobs back to the town. And even after reselling it, they still had a close relationship. Like there's a way to do it in such a condition that isn't the worst. Okay. But a lot of the time it is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to talk about the good ones, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, KKR, a huge private equity firm that was one of the three that bought Toys R Us in 2005. They also bought Dollar General and that went pretty well. Notably, uh, though, they bought it in the time of a great recession when people were, like, looking for <laughs> discounted products. It's hard to fuck that one up. Yeah. Anyways, they rena- remain relatively anonymous to the public. In fact, you were unable to say what they do. And I would have been in the same position. Yeah. I'm not in a place to shame you. Do you feel like Thank this is you. a safe space? It's a very safe space. I'm very comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, the premise is they buy companies, remove them from the obligations of having public shareholders. Okay. Uh, as you know, uh, the folks on Succession were definitely, you know, they did whatever they wanted anyway, but yeah. they at least pretended that they were beholden to shareholder wants and desires. Right, right. Like if the shareholders wanted to sell to Gojo or not, like mm-hmm. that mattered. Yeah, yeah. So. That's like most of the shows, I'm like swaying the mm-hmm. the vote and yeah. Yeah. So the premise, yeah, I almost read the same, same ten- <laughs> sentence again because I bold certain parts of the script that I like want to read. And so yeah, then I was yeah, just like, yeah. oh, I'm going to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by taking them away from the public, they can make riskier business decisions as well. Mm-hmm. With, again, the premise they'll make eventually more money. So again, I'm going to borrow heavily from Plunder here, quote, to make this business model work, private equity firms need money to start with, which they get from three sources. The firm itself will contribute a small percentage of the funds they need to buy a company. And then the firm's investors, it's stuff like pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, it doesn't matter, you don't need to know this, wealthy individuals, they will provide the rest of the funds that are necessary for the acquisition. The firm then leverages all of these assets, hence the leveraged and leveraged buyout. It's okay. I understand you're not following. You'll understand by the end. <laughs> Looking at the colors and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they will leverage these assets to borrow most of the money it needs from the banks and other lenders. Crucially, the responsibility of paying back the money the firm borrows sits not with the firm itself, but from the company it buys. Thus, if the company fails, the private equity firm loses only a small percent of its initial investment. I will pause here to explain it again in my own terms badly. Please. When KKR and the two other firms bought Toys R Us, they put up like 2% of their own money. Mm-hmm. They said, we're going to put in... Oh, God, I didn't write the number down. doesn't matter. Um, the rest, we're going to ask for a bunch of investors, mm-hmm. like w- whether it be just like some rich guy or like a whole bank. We're going to say, hey, can you guys give us the rest of the, I think, five or six billion dollars that we need? Okay. They're all like, okay. So they, those bankers lend the private equity from the money. And then they're like, hey, Toys R Us, we have all of this money. We're going to buy you. Okay. But here's the thing. Like we borrowed that money. So your company has to be so successful that you have to pay all those people back. Even though we just bought you. I'm seeing where this is going. You are now in debt to all of these other people. Yes. But because we are so good at what we do, that won't be a problem. Mm-hmm. We will make you so efficient that you can pay back the $5 billion in debt eventually at some point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that sounds asinine, it is because, at least to me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's why it goes bad a lot. I was going to say. <laughs> and then when it goes bad... Even if, like, the worst case scenario for everybody involved, still the private equity firm does not lose a lot on the deal mm-hmm. because they did not put up most of the money. The investors did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, they're just kind of, like, in the middle and they just... It, nothing really happens to them is what I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely in practice what happens. <laughs> but you understand the central premise. They put up yep. a little bit of money, they borrow the rest, and then yep. the company, instead of 
<laughs> like it's now the private equity firm paying back the people they borrowed money from. It is now the company that pays back the people that the private equity firm right. borrowed from. Toys R Us. Toys R Us. Yes. Yes. I'm there. I'm there. All right. Uh, great, great, great. This is back uh, to Plunder. Quote, but why would the company agree to take on the debt? Executives at the acquired company may agree to borrow money because they stand to make a great deal from the sale to a private equity firm. With the prospect of a windfall, they may authorize borrowing that ordinarily they might not. For example, if you're the CEO of Toys R Us, this is now me. You might get a $2.8 million exit package if things go wrong. Like, think Frank and Carl talking about their golden parachute, like, the whole <laughs> yeah. time of succession. They're like, fuck it, we'll sell the Gojo, like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, a lot of top executives who are executing the deal can say... Oh, my God. I just... It was a weird noise. Nah, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> I'm making you feel bad for no reason. They're like, can we stand to make money on the deal? Yeah. Quick question. Please. So going back to succession, maybe yes. I've gotten lost a little bit in this, but does this have anything to do with why Logan calls Kendall an, an idiot in the end? Because now Waystar is owes yeah. more money? Is that or what is the So I don't necessarily know about de- I don't actually mate No. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, the thing is their debt is just now different. Like uh-huh. they now have the four billion dollars or whatever that the bank needed. Right. Because right. uh, they like can collect on the loan because the stock yep, yep. price dropped. Um, but now, yes, I believe they are now beholden to Stewie and Sandy's debt. Right. Which Stewie and Sandy also have a lot of voting stock in the company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is also a problem because like as we'll talk about in this episode, private equity people are fucking plunderers. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. are <laughs> they I'm trying to remember who... Oh, yes. Do we votes Ken in the end? Yeah. I was trying to remember. I'm Team Ken, <laughs> right, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> team Ken. <laughs> Kisses his hand. <laughs> oh, God. Yummy. So the complete story of Toys R Us is that it was acquired by that pri- the private equity companies that I listed earlier, KKR, mm-hmm. Bain Capital, Vernado. They have stupid fucking names <laughs> we'll talk about. In 2005, they buy the company for $6.6 billion, but per the terms of the agreement, Toys R Us has to pay them $5 billion back. So the game is that those three companies have to make Toys R Us so successful that they can pay off the five point, uh, the $5 billion or whatever. Uh-huh. Let's read a bit from a Bloomberg article. Quote, but what's fa- that was so slay? I just tossed like my script Are we aside. Yeah, yeah. Um, quote. But what's fascinating or unsettling is that the overall revenue at Toys R Us didn't fall all that much, even during and after the recession. In the twelve months leading up to the buyout, the chain generated one eleven point two billion dollars of sales versus the eleven point one billion dollars in the twelve months through October twenty seventeen. So their operating revenue not all that different. Mm-hmm. So if they're still generating the same amount of money, then what's the problem? Quote, the overarching problem was costs and importantly, interest expense on the borrowings. By 2007, just before the financial crisis hit, the retailer's interest expense spiked to 97% of its operating profit. For the last reported 12-month period, pre-tax income was negative $492 million. (laughs) So 97% of the profit from their sales that they're making Mm -hmm. as a company is not even going to paying off the debt. It's paying off the interest on the debt. (laughs) <laughs> so if you've, if anyone here has had student loans, you might understand like yeah. going years without even touching the principal loan. Like Dude. it's just predatory. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like just asinine. Asinine is the word I'd use to describe it. So this has a tangible impact on the business when the company has less cash on hand because they're paying it all for fucking interest for the privilege <laughs> of being bought. 
They can't fund, for example, the transition to online retail. Mm. They can't pay people to like execute that strategy. Or, more tangibly and simply, they can't fund the literal people in the store to do their jobs. This is once again from Plunder, quote, According to employees, benefits were cut, as were jobs, and the employees who remained had to take on more responsibilities. Stores became shabby as the ordinary work of maintaining a big mis- business, polishing floors, sweeping parking lots, and so on, grew infrequent. The fans, girders, and lights of the stores where dust accumulated were cleaned less often. And the company fell behind on its internal information technology, a part where the business once excelled. So the stores are just also getting shittier. Yeah. And remember, right, this has a tangible impact on the many, many people it employs. Quote, at the end of the bankruptcy process, Mary Osmond, a former Toys R Us employee in Boardman, Ohio, told activists, quote, I can't find another job at my age. No one will hire me. I dedicated my life to Toys R Us, and today I'm left with nothing. And for God's sake, Anne-Marie Reinhardt, who I was talking about earlier, she literally had to choose between her own asthma medication and her husband's diabetes medication. Bro. Like, after she got laid off. Damn. Yeah, it's just like, ugh. Yeah, I guess there's not, like, another big toy <laughs> store to go work for. Right. I <laughs> like, mean, like, you could... She did get a job at, like, Belk. We'll talk about it yeah. later. I don't really know what Belk is. I didn't look it up. I don't know what Belk is. Retail no. company. I guess people would know. I'm just, I'm not one of the normal people anymore. I'm a famous podcaster, so I wouldn't know. So detached from the rest of society. (laughs) So what we've got immediately is these three private equity firms making things more efficient by cutting labor costs immediately. Mm -hmm. The stores begin to suffer. The company can't keep up with the onerous fucking debt of the pleasure of being owned by them. But if the company goes bankrupt, don't KKR, Bain, and Vornado suffer too? Is the question I'm sure everybody's asking. I'm thinking it, yeah. Yeah, you're thinking it? They don't. <laughs> well, all right. You want to host the rest of this? You, you want a script? <laughs> Not so. See, Toys R Us is contractually obligated to pay the company's various management fees as well. So this is how like Stewie gets his paycheck on succession, I guess. Mm-hmm. Over the years of ownership, the three companies extracted something like four hundred and seventy million dollars for like their management fees. And not only that, according to Bloomberg. Uh, quote, I'm quoting Bloomberg, and then they quote themselves. <laughs> quote, according to a Bloomberg news story last year, <laughs> KKR and Vornado previously wrote down their investments in Toys R Us to zero, so the bankruptcy did not affect their earnings. I don't have the brain power to understand uh, any of that, mm-hmm. but I assume that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Plunder goes into greater detail of how private equity firms can like legally do do around, I don't know, yeah. investments and shit, but I... I did not understand it. I just put it in here so that if other people understand it, they can. I got you. I got you. The girls who get it, they'll get it. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) So here we are. Do you have a better understanding-ish of what happened to Toys R Us? Yes. Do I need to re-explain anything to you? I'm there. I'm there. Okay. So let's zoom out from the dead giraffe retail giant for a Mm -hmm. moment. The pirate-themed private equity books are also... They're both contributions to a greater understanding of how private equity impacts society at large. Something I also did not understand. And I want to talk about it with you. Please. Is that okay? Get into it. Yay. Let's start with another retail example before moving on. Okay. Another positive aspect of being bought up by a private equity company is that the folks at these firms are extraordinarily well-connected. They're well-networked. And so they can provide the best staffing for your C-suite. You know, you need a new CEO? I know a guy. In fact, in Toys R Us's case, this isn't in the script, um... They hired Bain Capital, also owned, oh, was it Papa John's or Domino's? It was some pizza chain. And they just got the CEO from there to do Toys R Us. (laughs) They're like, bro, you want another job? I got you. Yeah. (laughs) So they would be, 
theoretically best suited to pick a great businessman mm-hmm. to helm your ship. Right. Quote, in 2012, Golden Gate, Ca- oh God, fuck me. Golden Gate Capital and Bloom Capital bought the discount shoe seller Payless. As described in the detailed profile in the New York Times through a series of owners, Payless tumbled through bankruptcy three times in four years. Part of the problem was that for for every one dollar that Payless made, more than a dollar went to the private equity owners. But part of the problem were the, who the owners put in charge. After Alden Global Capital bought Payless out of bankruptcy, it installed as the CEO, not an executive from footwear, fashion, or even retail, but an investment banker, Martin R. Wage III. Despite their inexperience, the new management enthusiastically pushed its own ideas, such as a plan to buy millions of World Cup-themed flip-flops. The problem was that the sandals didn't arrive until after the World Cup, (laughs) and often with flags of countries like Mexico and Argentina, where Payless had no stores. (laughs) That's crazy. Ultimately, the company had to sell the flip-flops at a deep discount. Another idea was to shift quality inspections from the dedicated facility to individual factories. As a result, Payless received many shoes that were defective in various ways. Size 6 shoes were labeled as size 3, for example. (laughs) A former employee said that, quote, missing one shoe can wipe out whatever you think you're saving. Ultimately, Payless returned to bankruptcy and closed all of its stores in the United States. That's... (laughs) hilarious so funny <laughs> so funny world cup theme flip-flops guys i know what the people want countries that like aren't even competing in the yeah. world <laughs> just like any country isn't that what normal people wear flip-flops with their favorite <laughs> countries on it for the record i would rock those would you yeah in a in like an ironic way <laughs> <laughs> do you ironic buy stuff no no i mean maybe oh. a little bit but I don't know. I mean, this shirt's pretty... I Actually, I got this as a gift. I can't... The I shirt know. you're wearing, audio-only medium. Right. Uh, the person's wearing a shirt that's like a cartoon womb. It's like a baby. It's like I have a baby, yeah. Yeah. The, the... Like, like a uh, looking glass of uh-huh. your baby inside your womb. Yeah. Too much info. Let's just... <laughs> <laughs> I can't describe... Ooh, what are you wearing The listeners the did not need to know this. <laughs> okay, the creeps on YouTube can find that, out. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah. And you know what? I'm an accessible podcast. Mm-hmm. There are millions of people who work for companies owned by private equity, like literally millions in the United States. So labor rights do suffer generally when private equity firms mm-hmm. buy places out. But also when they acquire when they acquire retail companies, the employees suffer for sure. But it's not like the undusted Barbie dolls at the Toys R Us like are being affected by not being cared for. Right. Consider though that private equity firms also purchase companies like private universities, nursing homes, prison services. <laughs> This is where things get a little dark. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Where should I even start? I'll st- can I start with the darkest one? Yes. Because I think I'm going to try and lighten it up from there. I wrote it in reverse order, but I don't want to do that again. <laughs> so I'm going to put this upside here. Um, there was a chain of nursing homes called Manor Care that was purchased by the Carlisle Group. Though most of the machinations we've talked about during this podcast, cutting labor costs, onerous management fees, whatever. They also like buy real estate and sell it back to the company. It's really fucking dumb. Uh, The quality of nursing homes drops immediately because of these factors. As told through numerous studies, interviews, etc. Like it's described heavily in Plunder. I'm not describing it here because I don't have the fucking time. One resident... Oh, God. One resident who was not supposed to use the restroom unattended was forced to do so anyway because of, you know labor costs nobody was there to like help her out Mm -hmm. she fell she hit her head she exhibited clear signs of needing medical attention for a week was uncared for and died from those injuries and i have i have to say how she died she died from a subdural hematoma which is bleeding around the brain and the doctors confirmed that there was enough blood in her brain to have smushed her brain from one side of her head to the other 
Ugh. And so, like, she had, I say that's because it's like she obviously died from the injuries. It's not like yeah. she died of old age, yeah. like, at the nursing home. So her family obviously sues the fucking nursing home, uh, but the case was dismissed. Why? Quote, as a private equity firm, Carlisle explained, it did not technically own manor care. Rather, Carlisle merely advised a series of investment funds, funds with names like Carlisle Partners, <laughs> that did. In essence, Carlisle performed a legal disappearing act, and the court dismissed the family's case against the firm. Carlisle would not be held responsible for her death or for the sordid, sorry outcomes that resulted from its plunder of manor care. So that's whack. Yeah. They were able to legally do si and various ways are described throughout the book. Also, this is the opening anecdote of plunder. <laughs> so if you don't like that, don't read the book. Yeah. But um, I'm hooked. It, I... <laughs> it's vile. Jesus. So not only do people working at the companies bought out by private equity suffer, but the people the companies are supposed to serve also get fucked. Yeah. Uh, but well, okay, going in reverse order, I guess. Uh, here's another one. This is the least bad one I could find about prison. <laughs> because I read most of the chapter and cried. But sometimes um, jails will instate little debit cards to give you mm-hmm. uh, when folks show up with money like already in their pocket, let's say. So this is another story. Quote, one instance... Uh, I'm sorry, for instance, one plaintiff, Jeremy Reichardt, was arrested for driving while intoxicated. When he was detained, the local jail confiscated $177.66 that he had in cash. God, I'd never carry on that much money. God bless him. <laughs> he spent four hours in detention, but upon his release, he wasn't given his money back. Instead, he was given the ironically named Access Freedom debit card. <laughs> Reinhardt quickly found out that the card, which he had previously not agreed to take, was slowly draining him of money. There was a weekly maintenance fee, an inquiry fee to check the balance, and an issuer fee to withdraw the funds. Mm. This, as it turns out, was company policy. The Keefe Group, which issued the card and was owned by HIG Capital, charged fees for card activity, for card inactivity, to request too much money, to ask how much money there was to request, to replace the card, to close the account. There was fees associated with all that stuff. Quote, clearly, these cards are designed to make it impossible to avoid fees, wrote Lauren Sanders of the National Consumer Law Center. A portion of the case was settled, but Kiefer agreed to pay a percentage of the fees that it took from prisoners, um, but much of the litigation remains ongoing. So... They get to get away with this, right? They get to get away with fraudulent or exorbitant fees for having this card. And then when they get sued for it, they just have to pay a little bit of the money back. So it's kind of a success story for the private equity firm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's a huge amount of money yeah. you're just, like, <laughs> bilking out of prisoners right. now. And, Damn. again, consider that's the least bad one I found about prison. The rest yeah. are, like, onerous. It's disgusting. Jesus. Uh, well, this is a silly one. Are you ready for a silly one? Please. We'll end on a silly we one. We need a giggle. We, d- <laughs> we need a giggle. let's get a giggle going so the ludicrously named private equity firm Warburg Pincus (laughs) I almost spit out my I wish I got it a little quicker so I could have had you do a spit take destroy all this lovely equipment (laughs) (laughs) they bought out a college that had existed since like 1918 Uh and they spun it off into something called Ashford University okay Quote, with its new accreditation, Ashford's new leaders were able to explode enrollment. When they bought the college in 2005, it had 332 students. Six years later, it had over 83,000, almost all of them enrolled in the online program. In just a few years, Ashford became the second largest degree granting college in the country, and its revenue grew from $7.9 million in 2005 to $968 million in 2012. Wow. That's crazy. But Ashford, as it turns out, was allegedly little more than a scheme to extract money from students. At a time when the school had over 70,000 enrollees, its online degree program allegedly had seven full-time faculty. (laughs) (laughs) 
What? (laughs) (laughs) A study led by Senator Tom Harkin found that in 2011, the school had over 1,700 recruiters, but one, just one employee (laughs) devoted to helping graduates find jobs. God bless that one employee. (laughs) (laughs) I want to circle back to the seven full-time faculty that have to deal with roughly 11,000 students each. That is insane. <laughs> They're right. My professors must be just crazy. Just wild. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes me it makes me giggle. That is wild. That's hilarious. Did you take any online classes? I know you and I kind of escaped like you and I graduated. I did have to do it for the last quarter, yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. It was. It just If we were sucked. if we were one year behind, I think I would have just taken a year off because it was pretty bad. It was awful. Terrible, was, man. I took like a creative writing class. That was fun. That's, yeah. And then I took a, what else did I take? I took like a Chinese business class. Mm, that's good. I mean, those work online, I feel like. Mm. That guy took his job seriously. The creative writing yeah. professor, I couldn't tell you a thing about Could them. I not give a shit. I don't even know, but I don't even know where their gender was. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, Damn. But yeah, those are the two online classes that I took. And I, I took like experimental film and had oh, to, that's had to dumb. make dumb videos at home. And I was like, this is, I'm 22. Humiliating. Yeah. It was, I'm 22. Was, I have nothing I, to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing experimental about me. I'm a very... Did you have to watch the rest of the class's films? We had to, but I didn't do... I would like... I, they were like, we can tell if you like watch the video, and I would press play, and then like go on a bike ride. <laughs> and then it'd be done when I come back. Absolutely. Did you have to like, critique them? Uh, yeah, probably. It was such a bad class. It was so bad. Yeah. Also, like, 50 kids in the class. I'm like, I'm not watching 50 bad <laughs> experimental shorts. Like, 50 other 22-year-olds yeah, just filling yeah, their bathroom at sink? at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, what are we doing? Anyway. <laughs> mine were kind of... I had some pretty good stuff in there. You uh, did? Some of some of it was good. Some of it You started this terrible. anecdote... You started the anecdote saying that you had no good ones. But then you ended the anecdote <laughs> saying you had some good ones. I had one so what's that I was pretty proud of. That actually I can't remember. I can only remember the bad... The bad one... Can I say this really quickly? Please! It's it's famously gotten like... Cause, because I put it on my Vimeo page online, oh, no. it's been torn to shreds by the oh, internet. Oh, fuck. But this was my final project where it was just... I filmed my like bathtub and just threw objects in the bathtub, <laughs> like newspapers and coins and like... Yeah, why? Um, There was some meaning, but I don't... Some no, come bullshit. on, you remember. You have no, to remember. No, I don't. It was it was something about my childhood. That's all I remember. And I couldn't go to Toys R Us! I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was like a little toy Superman that would like float around. And I always thought that was a cool shot, but nobody thought so. Damn, you got ripped to shreds online, though. I'm got sorry, to rip it. to shreds on that one. Yeah. You can't read what the teenagers online say about you. No. You no. gotta stop. They like dirtbag, some of them. Aw. Uh, if that means anything. That's good. <laughs> I was in that. You have the most divisive part of the film. Yes. People either think it's the only good thing about it Uh or they think it's the worst thing about it. Absolutely. And that's not on you. That's on. No, it's on me. I can't (laughs) act. I'm bad at acting. I loved it. I thought it was great. You know, if you like it, if you like that style of acting, God bless you. Like I I just can't act. Some people thought that was the only good part of the film. So, well, anyway, God bless them. Yeah, I'll have a little What were we doing? (laughs) All right. Online classes. Yeah. Online classes. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I already said the nursing home thing. So, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So you have a maybe, at best, anecdotal, but at least a few anecdotes of understanding of how private equity firms yep. generally can cause a lot of harm to society. Right. But I don't want to be a doom and gloom podcast. Mm-hmm. Not at all. 
No. So let's return now to Anne Marie Reinhardt Smith. What do you remember about her? Was so she there's a lot of people, but she was was she the first one that was working at uh I almost said Walmart. Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. And then she was like the, it was like she got to be a mom and then like yeah. the shitty. Had to choose between bucks, her yeah. asthma medication and her husband's diabetes yep, medication. Yep. Uh she's also incredibly Irish and has a shamrock <laughs> tattoo on her like right ankle. <laughs> and not only do you not mess with bitches in retail, you don't mess with Irish bitches. Absolutely. Like they are terrifying. I know this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 they will drink you under a table and then show up to work the next day fresh as a daisy and deal with any sort of customer service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so realizing that she had been part, or I'm sorry, recall, I said realizing, I can't read. Recall that she had been part of organizing protests with the Dead Giraffe Society, giraffe si- or a human sized coffin for a giraffe to rest his weary bones in. <laughs> Astonishingly. That's so funny. <laughs> you like weary <it>? bones? <laughs> The public shaming of Toys R Us actually had a huge impact. While she was, like, she was also kind of shared this experience with you of being torn to shreds online from, like, other folks in the Dead Giraffe Society being like, this is never going to work. Like, fucking, it's hopeless. Stop Mm -hmm. wasting your time. But when you're a bitch in retail, you have nothing to lose. Uh And also, you've already lost everything. You have $60 and you already spent it at Arby's, so you have nothing left. (laughs) You might as well hit the streets and protest. (laughs) So... While she was made fun of endlessly online, Anne-Marie Reinhardt's uh, action, along with the many other folks that protested with her, had tangible results. After a year-ish of protesting, talking to politicians, etc., we get a settlement. So one more time, I'm going to let Brandon Bowell take it. <laughs> Quote, November 2018, KKR and Bain announced a $20 million settlement fund for former employees. Payments to the employees ranged from a few hundred dollars to $12,000 per worker. But KKR and Bain weren't legally required to give more, and this settlement occurred outside the bankruptcy process. In fact, it was 10 times the size of what Reinhardt and others were able to get through litigation. In other words, though the settlement wasn't enough in employees' eyes, it was so much more than what they could have expected through bankruptcy. It showed that outside advocacy and agitation, quite simply embarrassing companies into actions and threatening their access to pension fund money, could serve as an interim substitute, however insufficient and complete, for the bankruptcy system. Isn't that such a fucking W? Like just snatching a W from the jaws of defeat yeah. of like someone could at least get twelve thousand dollars, which is, you know, mm-hmm. paltry, but it's enough to maybe get you going for a few months. Right. To right. feed a family of four, blah blah blah. That's a lot of Arby's. That's a lot you know? of Arby's. <laughs> that's, that's a- <laughs> it's at least three triple king sandwiches yeah, a day. You can get the cheese sticks. Yeah. Aww. You, yeah. I don't know the menu at Arby's. I just made up an item. <laughs> <laughs> the cheese sticks are to die for. Really? Is all I'll say. My mom didn't let us go to Toys R Us, but she had us get the cheese sticks all the time, which okay. I don't know what is. I'm know. not judging anyone's parenting, but the priorities are clear. <laughs> <laughs> you can find several forums online about Anne-Marie Reinhardt. She's a fucking legend. Mm-hmm. People are writing excessively about how she became a voice for them. You, again, you don't mess with an Irish woman with a fucking shamrock tattoo yeah. on her right ankle. I'll tell you that much. Do you recall how I said she had to choose between her husband's diabetes medication and her asthma meds? Right. I'm going to read you... Uh, One last part of the story. Oh, no. Reinhardt began to organize more broadly. She trained former employees at Sears, Payless, Gymboree to fight for their own severance payments. She advocated in Congress for the Stop Wall Street Looting Act, which would curtail some of the private equity's worst excesses. And she campaigned for the $15 minimum wage. Eventually, she went to work at a Belk department store. Ironically, the same store purchased by private equity and put through bankruptcy in a single day. Reinhardt died in early 2021 from COVID-19. But before her death about her organizing, she said, nothing but good has come out of it for me. But at least what I take from that, 
mm-hmm. is that she was laid off from Toys R Us and had to get another retail job. Yeah. Clearly having a uh, pre-existing condition, shall we say, of the lungs. Right, right. Uh, did not get adequate health care and died of COVID-19. Uh, Damn, dude. So. That is. is a bit of a tragic story. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> but I choose to remember the good parts of her. I mean, everyone does. I, right. Also, it's not my thing to choose to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her family can remember how as they wish. Right. Um, but she serves as somebody who's like fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Somebody who tirelessly advocated for the rights of other people and had fucking results. She got those results. Yeah. Irish bitches get, <laughs> they get, get those results. results. They get results. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wanted, I thought that was like the key to writing this episode was Anne-Marie Grinehart. Like right, right. her story, her journey, like everything about it and the, the tragic ending of like having to work at a fucking retail store. Yeah. That, right also went fucking bankrupt it just yeah. it's maddening like it's not that i'm like feeling bad for toys r us or like yeah. david brandon who by the way lives in a penthouse that is the rent is forty five thousand dollars a month which is just not a good way to spend your fucking money no. it's a that drill That's tweet insane. teach me how to budget <laughs> three hundred dollars on candles, candles? Teach me how to budget <laughs> but like uh so when I say like private equity like plunders companies, it's not that I'm like, you know, my heart hurts for Toys R Us. Right. But the people like Amory Reinhardt work at Toys R Us. Uh-huh. They're the people that keep it moving and like yeah. make a living out of that. It affects them, you yeah. know, at the end of the day. So it's just like this small group of rich dudes gets to just like kind of do whatever they want. And then they get to do do around legal liability, make their um, bajillion dollars in management fees and fuck yeah. off. Yeah. So it's uh, kind of fucked up what private equity yeah. is doing. I guess fuck Stewie. I guess I fuck Stewie. You really lowered him in my mind. I- <laughs> um, reading the book, both books, the one by Gretchen Morganson and Josh Reisner too, it's like every single story you remember from like the early 2000s, like uh-huh. uh, Abercrombie and Fitch or Hot Topic or right. Payless Shoe Source or Jamboree, all of them are gone to private equity. Yeah. Like every single one of them got acquired by private equity, got pilfered and then fucked off. Hot Topic? Hot, I There might be still be some okay. like Hot Topic franchises remaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it's not the tyrant it once was. Damn, dude. Isn't that crazy? That Now I want to know just like, yeah, how many of these kinds of retail businesses. Yeah. And it explains something that for a lot of popular culture is like oh well it was amazon mm-hmm. right like that's yeah. what it was but it's not necessarily true like yeah. it's uh, private equity is another key piece to the puzzle of understanding why business norms right. have shifted so much interesting isn't wow. it it wasn't the phones it wasn't the it damn phones. wasn't the damn phones. <laughs> it wasn't the damn kids and their cell phones <laughs> but that is let's see did i read anything else no i just have my sources um I also did illegally acquire the books that I read. Hey. I didn't have to. You didn't need to say that. But I wanted to. You wanted to. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what did you learn today, buddy? Did did you find this? uh, I learned a lot about private equities and um, how uh, that, again, like I went into this assuming it was going to be like an Amazon phones situation, but that's actually very tragic. And yeah, I, I see what you mean. Like it's, yeah, it's not about the. The companies necessarily but just mm-hmm. like the yeah this the what was her name Anne marie reinhardt <laughs> the Anne marie's yeah yeah and it's like yeah i mean it's both sad and nice to know she made some sort of impact though mm-hmm. and like there was some movement there yeah um fascinating though fascinating Tis it not? <laughs> not how i thought toys r us would go down not um, how i thought it was gonna go down when i was writing the episode but then i was like okay 
Yeah. It's going to be about private equity, and you and I have a face that we associate right, with private right. equity. <laughs> One sexy ass face. Sexy. He's going to also, like, isn't that such a funny thing for your career as an actor <laughs> to, like, be the face of private equity? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's rest in peace of the drafts as well. Yeah, giraffe. Rip, rip Joffrey. Rip Joffrey. <laughs> I think his name's Jeffrey, but I call Jeffrey. him Joffrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's spelled G E O. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which is a. Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, you have any final thoughts here uh, on um, the Busted Business Bureau podcast? Not really. I mean, that was that was very fascinating, though. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm happy to have had you on the podcast. Thanks. I wanted to do. I feel like this could have been two episodes of like the general havoc that private equity wreaks in society. Right. I wanted to keep it small, just to like. I know, you know. this kind of felt like it scratched the surface of a larger thing we could have gotten yeah. into. But uh, Toys R Us is just one example. It mm-hmm. sounds like, and that's like a peek in the window. I want a whole thing about Payless now, I, because that I'm. Just, <laughs> Even if we only got to hear the good part, like the flip flop, hilarious part? <laughs> company from what I've heard, just hysterical. Yeah, I can't imagine like what other rich people think like poor people's shoes are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, what's a poor man's <laughs> a poor man's transport device? <laughs> the Sweden sandals for the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, but the thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for doing the suck off podcast with me. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing it with me. Yeah, it was fun. Hopefully, we can another reunion soon hell yeah yeah and this one's on tape so people can see us they never saw that's us that's true the podcast. just on the twitch stream yeah which was a blast yeah i was wearing my sunglasses the whole time that's fine <laughs> yeah. right. any hoodles um yeah do you want anything to plug before we uh fuck off uh follow me on threads i'm kidding um <laughs> follow me on you're the- not though i'm not i'm not uh <laughs> i'm gonna say check me out on youtube uh, Karsten Runquist. Isn't it Runquist Karsten on YouTube? No, nah, it's just Karsten Runquist. Oh, fuck, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Succession um, video coming. Drop it soon. It'll probably be out by the time this is out. I don't know when you're putting this out. It's to. tomorrow. I will not be out. <laughs> it will not be out. Uh, I have some new merch dropping. That's that's the thing that I want to plug. All right. Anyway. Buy Karsten's Woo merch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. And as always, suck, suck off. off. Ha 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 ha!